Hello and welcome to CIA Files, True Stories of U.S. Intelligence. I am your host, Topher M. Ford. Got my co-host here, Brandon Givens. Brandon, what's up? Oh, well, um, I had a birthday. Some oh yeah, happy week. birthday. Yeah. And um, I got a, a, a message from Master Ken of Ameridote. He's the best martial artist in the whole wide world. All other martial arts are, are just are just bull. Are pale in comparison? Oh, yeah. So in a day or two, I'll share um, his wonderful video um, to our CIA files thing. And so anyone out there who knows about Master Ken will definitely enjoy watching his wisdom that he it- imparts on me for my birthday. Do you know this person? No, I don't. But um... <laughs> well, that, okay, that's interesting. Then. That <laughs> well, makes I a, it. I get a laugh out of his videos, and um, uh, it was uh, my birthday present for my wife. She, oh, you know, nice! One of those things where you like, like a cameo. Yeah, yeah. Or they, you know, like do you a personalized video and yeah, something. And, yeah, it was pretty that's funny. Pretty cool. Yeah. All right. Uh, so today we're going to talk about a few different things. Um, we're going to start with some more terrestrial news. Brandon, uh, can you tell us about what's going on, uh, over in Eastern Europe? Uh, well, the Caucasus, I can talk, uh, Caucasus, we got Armenia and Azerbaijan, uh, heating up. Is this not Eastern Europe? Did I get that? Is my geography bad? Well. You know what? Actually, yeah, I guess it could count as Eastern Europe. Yeah. Yes, I knew it. Yeah, it's, it's like right on the edge there. You know, it's those, those Caucasus mountains. You know, people people argue about it, but yeah, yeah a, kind of go ahead and call it Eastern Europe. Um, usually, when people think of Eastern Europe, they think of like Russia and Ukraine, and uh, Americans will throw in Poland and Czech Republic, and that will make them very angry because they're like, "We're in Central Europe. Look at the map. It's in the center part." Um, and since technically Europe doesn't exist, it can be confusing too because it's the Eurasian um, plate. And yeah. Oh, so yeah, I, I'm looking at a map here because you know my geography is, and it's uh, nestled here. A lot of these uh, smaller countries next it's next to Turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. uh, it's north of Iraq and Iran, uh, south of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, well, then, you know, there's kind of like a the cultural argument of like, uh, should they lean more toward Europe or are they Asian? And, yeah, you know, uh, Georgia is definitely trying to lean in on the European element. And they're right there. Right, because they probably want into the European clubs. Yep, yep. That would, that, that would be part of what they would like, yeah. Is uh, NATO um, or NATO or the EU... Either one, like uh, a really nice nightclub that you have to, you know, like most people can't get into. And Putin is angry because he wants to go in and dance. He really loves dancing and he can't get in. And now he's mad because Ukraine might get into the club. And I, don't get think, to go I don't think that's it. I think, I think Putin has his own nightclub called the CSTO. Uh, and the Council of Independent States, and uh, which would be so like, like a... NATO and the EU, respectively. And he's mad because um, the, he invited some countries to join his club, 
and they didn't they didn't want to. They were like, nah. you could solve all of this whole thing with a round of flip cup. <laughs> you know what I mean? Are you are you familiar with flip cup? No, it sounds like a drinking game. Yeah, exactly. So, you have like yeah. a a row. It, they did a Always Sunny in Philadelphia on it. Basically, you like have a red plastic cup that's upside down, and you have to like tap it from the bottom to flip it so that it's you know spins around and is right side up. Um, and then you drink the beer and move oh. on. Um, yeah, so they could just Putin and his crew one side of the table, the European Union. Uh, you know, the main people there on the other side. And I, I, I don't think the people of Georgia and Ukraine and Moldova would want their future decided by other people playing flip cup. But I mean, you could run well, it past them. You don't get, you don't, you don't always get to control everything, you know? <laughs> well, well, that's true. You um, just root for the side that you want to win. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah. This is probably more serious because I'm assuming it affects people's lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the um, well, you know, like, uh, Czarist Russia, they, you know, it's really big, and the Soviet Union kind of took all that and uh, carved it up, and they had, uh, especially with Lenin, the idea of creating like um, ethnic nations or, or subnations, and so Armenia, Azerbaijan. Um, uh, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, and they also had little exclaves and enclaves and such. So uh, our, there is an exclave to Azerbaijan that is on like the other side of Armenia. So Armenia is between Azerbaijan and, and this exclave, but that doesn't seem to be too controversial. But when the Soviet Union set these um, republics up, there is a valley, or, you know, a little region, uh, Nagorno-Karabakh, that is like majority Armenians, but they were assigned to Azerbaijan, which the, I'm not really sure of the rhyme or reason because it's kind of surrounded by Azerbaijanis. So it's kind of like this valley or region of Armenians, and they're an island within Azerbaijan. But, you know, they have these Azerbaijanis that, well, they border Iran and Armenia, and I don't know how they get goods and stuff to them easily. But anyway, the uh, the people, uh, the Armenians, wanted to be part of Armenia, especially when the Soviet Union collapsed, and that didn't really go over well. The Azerbaijanis didn't like it. They fought numerous wars, and Armenia, for a while there, had de facto control. And like took a bunch of Azerbaijani land as well, um, but Azerbaijan has since become you know since that you know thirty years or so quite quite powerful or you know they got all that oil and gas wealth and the oil pipelines go through Azerbaijan and it's kind of Kazakhstan's connection to the outer world because they're they're kind of nestled in between the other Central Asian republics who right. were nestled between Afghanistan and Iran and Pakistan. And, you know, the Kush Mountains aren't really easy to pass. And so if they want to get their oil out, it pretty much has to go through the Caspian Sea, through Azerbaijan, then it goes up through Georgia. Um, and Armenia is in the CSTO, but Russia didn't really... Do, 
intervene too directly because they considered it an internal struggle and not an external struggle. And they're also kind of allies with Azerbaijan, even though Azerbaijan is not in the CSTO. So Azerbaijan's done a really good job of playing both sides as far as like being friendly with the West, but also being friendly with Russia, which has kind of left Armenia in a bad situation. And it's somewhat ironic because Armenia has one of the more developed and transparent democracies in the region, but they're totally getting the shoulder. Now, Nancy Pelosi's there now, or was there yesterday. So she's coming in to put the feelers out for, you know, maybe maybe the U.S. can save the day. But it's going to be a hard sell because yeah. Azerbaijan seems to be pretty intent on reclaiming this this exclave completely. Um, this sounds very much like high school drama. I mean, I understand it's not that there are like thousands and thousands of lives involved, but your description of it, it sounds a little like an episode of Degrassi junior high, you know? Yeah. People are, I mean, people are children. Like I teach, I teach teenagers and, um, they, uh, adults aren't really that much different <laughs> at the end of the day. It's, you know, petty stuff. And, I think, what was it, someone, I can't remember who said it, it says a king bickers with with other kings for the same reason a neighbor bickers with his neighbor. You know, like, oh, I don't like where you put your fence and play your music too loud. Or, and, but yeah, it's a, it's a complicated situation because in many ways they're, they're both kind of wrong. Uh, like, I understand where Armenia is coming from with, like, saying, hey, there's this, you know, group of Armenians surrounded in this other country, and uh, we think they should be part of us. We don't understand why they never were. And Azerbaijan saying, well, but they are part of us, so why should you have control over it? And, you know, the whole ethnic nationalism thing, it, it can it can cause a lot of violence. And Well, this know, is what I'm wondering, too. Uh, because you've talked about this a lot, the ethnic nationalism, uh, people who identify as Armenian, but they live in Azerbaijan. I guess as an American, because, you know, we identify as Americans and the amount of geography that, you know, we connect to our personal identity is huge compared to these places. I, I guess I have a hard time. I guess it's, you know, it makes sense if I think of it in terms of like a person who was born and raised in Texas and they're like, I'm a Texan, you know, but I guess it doesn't make sense to me because a Texan could move to Iowa and live in Iowa for five years, 10 years, whatever, set up a business there, do, you know, like live a whole life and they still consider themselves a Texan. But then at the end of the day, if they want, they can always go back to Texas um, but I, I don't know. I'm just trying to wrap my head around like I'm, you know, like I feel like I'm considered myself Armenian, um, but I live in Azerbaijan. Like, what's the difference? Oh well, there's religion and there's language. I mean, Armenia is one of the oldest continual cultures <laughs> in existence. I mean, they've lived in that area for thousands of years. And Texas has existed, what, a hundred and something years? Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. I'll give you that. <laughs> you but know? but yeah. I just mean like 
Azerbaijan is really close to Armenia, and like, I guess I'm wondering, like, how how big of a difference could there actually be? Their religions and languages are completely different. Armenians are Orthodox uh, Christians for the most part. Their language is um, uh, not Turkic, and Azerbaijan is uh, Turkic language, and they're Islamic. I believe Shia. Uh, not Sunni. I'm not positive about that. Uh, but they have kind of like a, they're culturally Islamic, some sort of secularization, kind of like we have here in Kazakhstan, where like, uh, you know, most people are like, well, yeah, yeah, I'm Muslim, but it, you know, it's... It's more kind of, of a personal identity as opposed to like a religious following. Well, yeah, like uh, we have like Christmas and Easter Christians, you know, but I guess it might be Ramadan and Eid. Muslims. Right. Where and if you ask the yeah. Christmas and Easter Christians, they will say, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ, but you don't see him at church. Right, right. Yeah. And so you get you get you know a lot of that in those those areas. Um so it's nationalism, you know, it's nationalism on both sides. And I mean the Armenians to I mean, like I said, to their credit, they've been living in that valley forever. And the Azerbaijanis, they're part of the, you know, the Turks that came in. Um yeah, which is still quite a long time ago. Right. I was going to say, I realized that's probably another part of my uh, inability to really grasp the mindset of all this is, yeah, I'm American and America's only been around for a, a few hundred years, you know, and these people are living in a place that's been around since the beginning of civilization. Right. Well, we're we're also founded by people that were like, "Oh man, people are being mean to me. Screw this," <laughs> you know. Like, right, rich guys that didn't want to pay taxes and convinced the farmers that it was in their best interest to you know, fight people that they didn't care about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that was that was that was a part of the independence movement. But people moving. I mean, you had um, Palatinate. Uh, Germans, you know, they were uh, Protestants that were like, oh man, they're, you know, I'm not being treated as well as I'd like here. I'm going to leave. French Huguenots, a lot of those. Um, and, well, of course, you know, we have our whole mythology about the Puritans and like they wanted freedom of religion, which is kind of half true. Right. Uh, well, the Puritans, I, from what I understand, they thought of freedom of religion the same way that our evangelicals think of freedom of religion, which is they have the freedom to like oppress people through their beliefs. And if you try to stop them from oppressing other people, then you're infringing on their. I I saw, I don't don't remember if it was far side. It looked like a little far side comic, but it it was meant to be a joke, but it's like, no, that kind of happened. And it was um, like the Mayflower. And then there was another boat and people were, you know, like acting weird or, making dirty signs at them and says, Oh, well, those are the impuritans, you know, <laughs> but, but there was a thing like that. It was uh, Thomas Morton. He um, set up a colony. He called new Canaan and the Puritans went and they burned it down. He was working with the natives and uh, started having like big parties who that, I mean, they may or may not have been orgies. The Puritans said they were. Um, right. Well, uh, if there were ankles floating around, that's an orgy. <laughs> yeah. But, to the Puritans. That's yeah. Not- even- like they would, they probably could, like if they saw an actual orgy, it would probably melt their brains. They'd have a seizure on the spot. Yeah. 
uh, was it Puritanism, the seeking suspicion that somebody somewhere is having a good time? Yeah, I, all Puritans are the 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 guy in the bar from Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas who goes into the bathroom to see Hunter S. Thompson and the other guy snorting cocaine off the, <laughs> off the counter. And he like ste- slowly steps out and for the rest of his life. He's like constantly looking <laughs> at bathroom doors and bars. Right. He's always <laughs> afraid of what might be behind. All right. Yeah. Well, all right. So this, this situation, you got, um, you know, two former, um, Soviet republics, they were kind of carved up, but like the borders were set by the Soviets. And in one case, you have this uh, group, a minority group, the Armenians, that ends up being absorbed into Azerbaijan. Now, in Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan, it was a bit different. Um, and then there, there's Uzbekistan, too. And all of them have these like little, little exclave islands. So in Tajikistan, they're like, um, well, excuse me, well, sorry, specifically in Kyrgyzstan, um, there's like a little island for um, Tajiks and, you know, crossover in Tajikistan, little island for, for Uzbeks and so on. Um, so they kind of, the Soviets seem to have taken the opposite tactic there. Um, about like, oh, okay, well, we'll, you know, we'll make sure that, you know, oh, here's a little valley and and um, Tajikistan, and it's full of um, uh, Kyrgyz. So, yeah, we'll make it part of Kyrgyzstan. And when we were in Uzbekistan, we tried to visit one of the Uzbek exclaves, but they told us we couldn't go. Like, I mean, we were near the road that could take us, but they said, no, you can only drive, because it doesn't have a visa entry point. They said, you can only go there um, if you're local. So you kind of have to have business there and be a local. Like, uh, but um, so yeah, they have these little little things. But now Tajikistan is kind of like well, the statement is they're claiming uh, this little section entirely, like Kyrgyz and all. Because if you also look at the countries, they look like little puzzle pieces. Yeah. So this like one little puzzle piece is surrounded by Tajikistan and they're like, we should be able to just kind of cut that little part off and keep it. Um, but they haven't said that, but that's kind of like the word on the street. But what we're fairly certain about is it's water. Uh, the uh, water access is in Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan would like more of that water. And because it's a very dry climate and most of the water, which, you know, is moderately available is from the mountains. So it snows in the mountains, melts, and then you get rivers, you know, nice cold right. rivers full of trout. Uh, but if the river is on the other side of the valley, eh, you kind of kind of screwed if that's in another country. And right. so that seems to be playing here. But why this is really important is like, um, both of these guys are in the CSTO and they're fighting each other and Russia's not competent enough to do anything about it. And, you know, like that was always kind of the thing is, oh, well, they have bases there and at least Russia provides some stability for the region. And it's like, well, no, no, they, they have failed at every measure here. All, all the so, well, yeah, well, they're a little busy and, <laughs> Yeah, not making peace somewhere else. Yeah. 
a little busy. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. And, and so there's like fighting going um, on here. Yeah, I'm looking at the. the, the I was map reading here, through here, so and I can see this like puzzle piece of. It's kind of funny. The most puzzle piece looking thing is Uzbekistan, and there's a little bit of Tajikistan in it, a little, and then in Kyrgyzstan, that I see two Uzbekistans and one Tajikistan. <laughs> and so, but it is like, well, how do you again nationalism? Like, oh, um, but I think nationalism may just be an excuse here, you know, where it's like, oh, okay, these guys in this valley, they're ruling themselves, kind of, but they get to be considered part of this other country. But yeah, right. Probably, as soon as you been, as soon as you mentioned access to water, like all the talk of cultural identity seemed a lot less important. Right. <laughs> you know. Um, right on. Was there more of that? Um, the only other thing I could think of is the Pope was here, or well, he was in um, Astana. Oh, Astana is going. Um, oh yeah, Kazakhstan left the CSTO. Um, so yep, I mean, like the CSTO is falling apart, which might mean the Council of Independent States will fall apart next. And the Pope showed up. I don't know. Maybe he's making an angle to get some of those um, disgruntled um, Orthodox. And the Pope call, uh, took a uh, kind of a swipe at Kirill, who's the head of the Russian Orthodox Church. Uh, that's the guy that's like, we have to fight the Ukrainians because they're Nazis and gay. And so <laughs> I'm like, what? Gay Nazis. Gay, know. American, <laughs> gay Nazis. I mean, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but it was like, oh, the Ukrainian Nazi government is going to, it's trying to force gay pride parades on our good Russian citizens or people there. <laughs> like, I'm very, I don't think you know what all those words mean, but okay. Uh, but yeah, the Pope showed up and um, he said about, well, he didn't mention Creel by name, but he said um, any, any uh, Christianity does not um, uh, seek out war, you know, or bless it. But he also said that sending, but he also <laughs> said that sending weapons to Ukraine is acceptable because it's based on self defense. So he he has been kind of not saying anything. So that's oh, kind of the, something, right? Lots of mental gymnastics there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, I mean, at least I mean I kind of appreciate it, um, and that he's not just. Yeah, like the Das Pope during World War II, kind of, oh, yeah, I can do business with Hitler as long as I can get special privileges or reserve certain privileges. I mean, it probably wasn't so much special, but reserve rights, more or less, for Catholics right. in Germany. To get so, them to leave the Pope alone. Or, or leave the Catholic minority alone. Just like, right. hey, you know, don't go out. You, know, you can go after people for for, you know, what they think, except being Catholic, don't go after him for that part. And right. I was like, oh, okay. And it had to do with tax money and like government support for the church as well. Um, but, you know, he's not trying to, I mean, the, the new Pope, this guy, he's like, hey, you know, killing people's bad. We should, we should not do that. Um, but also you do have a right to defend yourself if your country's invaded. So, yep. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah. he's basically said that Kirill and them are they're not Christian. Uh, eh. Ooh, yeah, I know. I mean, he he didn't say them by name, but kind of. So, oh no, Christian holy war. No, uh, it's 
the love is spreading. The Christian love is spreading across the globe. <laughs> oh, but uh, yeah, well, uh, uh, yeah, the president here in Kazakhstan, yeah, pretty much gave the finger to Putin, and uh, but yeah, Uzbek and Kyrgyzstan, I don't know how hot that's going to get, and. It's kind of sad in a way, but it's, you know, water wars are going to happen. Price of bread's going to go up. They're going to be, we're going to see more of this. But yeah. anyway, that's, that's all I got, I got to say about that. I know this isn't, this is about uh, extraterrestrial and not terrestrial business, this episode, but well, I thought that was I mean, important enough with everything going on to kind of fill people it's, in. <laughs> it's it's good to, you know, at least keep uh, keep up a little bit with what's going on over there. It's so far away, it's easy to for us to forget, you know, that there's like a ton of stuff going on over there because there's a ton of stuff going on here, too. Um, yeah. And then so that is a I'm going to use this as a segue. Uh, there is a ton of stuff happening in Kiev as well. Uh, of course, we all know this because there has been a war going on there for quite some time now. Uh, but there's more stuff, even more, uh, it gets even more interesting. Um, so a report from the main astronomical observatory in Ukraine has people wondering if aliens are getting involved with fighting in and around Kiev. Uh, <laughs> the observatory, which oh, normally oh. watch. I might have to uh, uh, interrupt you there. You should avoid saying key, um, Kiev because the. Uh, oh, I thought uh, I said Kiev. Yeah, that's uh, Kiev is the. You'll be accused of being a Vatnik, and we we don't want that. I don't know what that is, but I hope it. It sounds bad. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a Vatnik. Um, anyway, so the observatory, which normally watches for meteorites and other lower astronomical phenomenon says it has noticed a large number of unidentified flying objects over Ukraine's capital. And the main astronomical observatory has been working in conjunction with the United States National Academy of Science to study the night skies. Uh, so they, the main astronomical observatory issued a report that has, it was uh, submitted to a website uh, and it has not been peer reviewed yet um, but it's gotten out there and people have paid attention to it. Uh, from the report, quote, according to our data, there are two types of UAP, which, okay, uh, quick inter interjection in case you haven't kept up, um, the government, officially UFOs no longer exist. Uh, they are now called UAPs, which are unidentified aerial phenomenon. We've talked about that a little bit before. It's a rebranding. You know, <laughs> bring the bring the aliens into the 21st century. Come on, guys. Um, OK, anyway. Uh, from the report, quote, according to our data, there are two types of UAP, which we conventionally call uh, cosmics and phantoms. We note that cosmics are luminous objects brighter than the background of the sky. We call them names of birds, swift, falcon, eagle. Phantoms are dark objects with the contrast, according to our data, from 50% to several percent. Now, I don't get the percent thing, but basically, uh, the, from the other articles I've read, um, these things uh, sort of, they're 
they're black. They're super black and light. They don't reflect light very well. Um, very hard to see. Both types of UAPs, uh, this is from the report again, quote, both types of UAPs exhibit extremely high movement speeds. Their, detention, their detection is a difficult experimental problem. They are a byproduct of our main astronomical work, daytime observations of meteors and space intrusions. Uh, and then here's, um, this is from a, an article uh, from Live Science reporting on uh, the, the, this report. Quote, Phantoms, by contrast, are dark objects usually appearing completely black, as if absorbing all light following, falling onto them, the team added. By comparing observations from the two uh, participating observatories, the researchers estimated that phantoms range from 10 to 40 feet wide and can travel at speeds of up to 33,000 miles per hour. For comparison, an intercontinental ballistic missile can reach speeds of up to 15,000 miles an hour, according to the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation. So these things are hard to see and very fast, <laughs> according to these reports. Um, and they, they, they observed these things because they have two observation stations, uh, one within Kiev and then one sort of outside the city. Um, of course, you know, there's fighting going on there, in case uh, you didn't know that. So it, it stands to reason that the, you know, the sky above Kiev is very cluttered right now. Yeah. I, with I think, aircraft, missiles, and everything. Yeah, I was like, well, if, if it's, if it's uh, extraterrestrials, it makes me think that this is kind of like the bad neighborhood, but they want to drive through it to see what's going on. You know, like well, let's let's drive through the through that uh, by the Earth. Let's go to that that solar system and and see. There's always some wild wild stuff going down. Right. Yeah. I mean, one of their one of the the major religions. It's a guy that's crucified on a cross. Right. <laughs> you know, like that's why they parade around <laughs> and they, they have statues. Weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I even saw a comic like that. It was uh, like aliens landing and seeing a crucifix, and they're like you know, a statue, and it's like, yeah, oh, we're in the wrong neighborhood. We need we to get, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that may be what what they're thinking. They're like, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, of course, another theory uh, that's probably a little more believable is that what they're seeing could be, um experimental or secret uh, aircraft that the government has developed, which is, you know, if you follow along with um, alien lore, alien mythology, um, that's always been a big theory that a lot of the stuff that people report as UFOs and prob and think are extraterrestrial are actually uh, secret uh government aircraft or military craft that the public doesn't know about yet. Um, and that made me think about one of uh, what's been to me, one of the most interesting cases of UFO sightings and one of the biggest entries into UFO 
lore. And that is the story of a man named Paul Benowitz. And I want, you know, I've wanted to get into this story for a long time. We haven't covered it yet because technically the CIA wasn't really involved. I think that they were in the fringes uh, here and there in, involved, but uh, for the most part, this played out with Paul Benowitz and Air Force intelligence. Um, Still intelligence. Yeah. It works it, it and it, they're also like the CIA uh, makes a little cameo. I think uh, the NSA is in the story. Uh, it's a crazy story. And like I said, it contributed uh, in a major way to UFO lore. Um, all right. So here I'm going to, I'll tell the story. Uh, Paul Benowitz was a, uh, I think like a radio engineer. I don't know his exact title, but he, he'd done work with NASA before. Um, this is from, uh, here's a quote, and he lived in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, this is a quote from an article called The Mental Deconstruction of Paul Benowitz. Quote, in 1979, Paul Benowitz opened a small electronics company, Thunder Scientific Lab Laboratory in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He was a physicist, an inventor, and a tinkerer. He also had an avid interest in UFOs and was an investigator for APRO, which is an aerial phenomenon research, research organization based in Arizona. The UFO group started by Jim and Coral Lorenzen. Uh, from his home on the outskirts of Albuquerque, Benowitz had, along with others, seen strange lights in the night sky over the Manzano test range outside of Albuquerque. The lights seemed to appear almost every evening and fly towards Coyote Canyon, also a part of the Kirtland Air Force Base area that included Sandia National Laboratory and Phillips Laboratory, both of which do ultra-top-secret research. Not so just top secret, ultra top secret. Yes. Uh, he reported the sightings um, to Kirtland security police. The police became alarmed and, and instructed guards at the nearby Manzano weapons storage area to report any strange sightings. And then soon after guards there, they filed three different uh, reports of three different sightings of strange objects flying in the area. And so the, Kirtland security police are are they're very worried because the Manzano weapon storage area is uh that's where they store uh a large part of America's nuclear stockpile of nuclear weapons. So, you know, the idea that there's some uh strange aircraft whizzing around there is upsetting to the head of security there. Uh, word is passed up the chain and eventually reaches Air Force Intelligence Officer Richard Doty, who worked for the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. After Doty passes the reports of these sightings to AFOSI headquarters, several Air Force personnel become involved. So, yeah, Richard Doty is an intelligence officer with the Air Force. And he has made a name for himself in the UFO community since this has happened. Uh, we're going to circle back to Richard Doty. He's a special kind of bastard, I think. Um, <laughs> and we'll see. I'll explain why later. Um, so anyway, meanwhile, 
uh, while this is going on, Benowitz is convinced now that aliens are spying on U.S. military bases. He begins recording the strange lights in the sky and amasses hours and hours of video footage of them. He also connects with the psychologist and ufologist named Dr. Leo Sprinkle. Uh, who also, yeah, Dr. Leo Sprinkle, who also believes Benowitz has been witnessing aliens. Uh, so the two of them hook up, and uh, Sprinkle is sort of reinforcing what Benowitz believes about, uh, you know, aliens. Uh, the two men uh, eventually meet a woman named Myrna Hansen. Hansen claims that while driving in northern New Mexico, she and her young son saw multiple UFOs, uh, and they say they also saw the UFOs abduct cattle. She went on to say that she and her son were both abducted and taken to a place where they witnessed cattle being drained of blood, as well as vats of liquid contain containing human body parts. So this is the beginning of. Uh, the legend of Dolce Base, um, which if you keep up with UFO, Dulce, uh, Dulce, Dulce, I don't know. Uh, oh, well, uh, um, if it's Spanish, it's Dulce. That's like sweet. Well, it's it's uh, in the town of uh, Dulce or Dolce, New Mexico. There's a very small town there, huh. and uh, she. Over here, I'll just keep going. Uh, <laughs> Hansen's story comes out over the course of several months through hypnosis sessions with Dr. Sprinkle. Uh, Dr. Sprinkle, Myrna Hansen. <laughs> no, I, I get hypnotized by someone named Dr. Sprinkle. I know. That's like a horror movie about to happen. That's, I mean, if a woman came to you all frantic and said, Dr. Sprinkle hypnotized me and I'm convinced that I was abducted and taken to a UFO base. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah all right. So Dr. Sprinkle, Myrna Hansen, and Paul Benowitz become convinced that there must be an un, a secret underground lab beneath Dulce, New Mexico. Other people, including a state trooper, also report seeing strange things in and around Dulce, including mutilated cattle and abandoned gas masks. <laughs> so if you remember, uh, you know, cattle mutil mutilation has been a part of uh, UFO lore for a while now. And I think a lot of that comes from this incident of, you know, people finding mutilated cattle, uh, that seem weird, like they're drained of blood and they don't understand it. So they start attributing it to UFOs, which kind of tracks because there's a bunch of weird stuff in the sky. Uh, members of the air force, the AFOSI, become concerned because Benowitz using his radio technology that most citizens don't have access to has been unknowingly documenting secret experimental aircraft being tested by the air force. So that's what he's seeing. And that's uh, what other people are seeing. Uh, they're testing. Uh, I, you know, and I think uh, this is just a guess, but I'm thinking they were testing quadcopter and drone technology because these things were uh, flying around in ways that weren't possible at the time and in ways that if you hear them described now sound a lot like quadcopters 
<laughs> right? Things that can like go fast, change direction, uh, on you know, like they can change direction quickly. I don't know words are bad. Um, <laughs> so they are worried now because this guy who is, um, a little more educated and capable than your average Joe is gathering actual scientific data about their experimental craft. And they had, they try to, they're like, okay, we've got to figure out something to get this guy off the case, so to speak, you know? So they bring Benowitz in for a meeting. Benowitz explains his wild theories of gray aliens and a secret base in Dulce. And it should be noted that at this time, uh, by this time, Benowitz has like a whole huge narrative built. He believes that uh, there's a secret base, an underground base under the small town of Dulce, New Mexico, and it's full of different species of aliens. And this is where uh, we start to see the mythology of, uh, of aliens evolve from, you know, it was just like little green men or little gray men. Benowitz brings in, and not just Benowitz, um, he's not the only one who talks about uh, the secret underground base. Um, but he starts, you know, like he's like, there are multiple races of aliens living in this base. Um, they're, it, <laughs> they they're got like, that from watching lights moving around? <laughs> well, that, and uh, there's a lot, he picked up a lot more information. Remember, he was, uh, he had like this big array of uh, radio antenna. So he was not only watching lights run around, he's picking up radio waves and secret transmissions from the government uh, that he can't actually interpret, but he thinks he's interpreting. And so he thinks he's picking up communications from aliens as well. Oh. So, and, and that along with uh, the testimony of Myrna Hansen, you know, and then the other little stories that pop up about weirdness and uh, what you call high strangeness in and around Albuquerque and Dulce and the area, uh, Cimarron Valley, all of that. You know, there's a lot of weird stuff happening in there. Um, so, yeah. So anyway, uh, the Air Force Intelligence, they bring Benowitz in for a meeting. Benowitz explains his wild theories of gray aliens and the secret base in Dulce. And they promptly agree with him and they <laughs> let him in on the secret. They, they tell him they know about the aliens and they're trying to stop them. So there is a documentary from 2014 called Mirage Men. Uh, I'll actually have a link to the documentary on Amazon uh, as well as, of course, all the other links uh, to the other information on our website, cifls.net. But yeah, so the documentary describes this meeting as Benowitz, you know, giving this impassioned speech about aliens to this, you know, like in a dark room with these Air Force men and around a table. And he tells them the story and then there's like an awkward pause of silence. And then the head guy in the room looks at him and goes, you're absolutely right. 
And then the rest of them are like, okay, I guess this is the direction we're going. This is how we're handling this. So from there, uh, things uh, just go downhill. <laughs> um, Dodie begins uh, spending time with Benowitz. Um, he's, you know, like posing as uh, pretending that he's sort of coordinating with Benowitz on, you know, to, to get his information. But what he's really doing is feeding Benowitz made up stories so that he remains convinced that he's been seeing aliens. So Doty starts giving him official looking government documents uh, that talk about aliens. And a lot, a lot of the current lore surrounding UFOs, the conspiracy theories and stuff, originate from these bogus documents that Richard Doty is feeding to Paul Benowitz. Uh, Benowitz also gets a hold of Doty says he doesn't, he wasn't the one that gave him this, but uh, Benowitz ends up with documentation about uh, majestic 12, which is another big part of uh, the UFO conspiracy. Uh, can't get into all of it. It's like a whole thing you could do. We could do a whole series just documenting this line of uh, mythology on UFOs. But yeah, there, Benowitz is feeding him these made up stories. Um, other U.S. intelligence groups like the NSA and I think the CIA uh, also begin watching Benowitz because, you know, these places aren't talking to each other really. Um, you know, the Air Force isn't probably not communicating with the NSA. The NSA is not communicating with the CIA. Um, so spying on uh, Benowitz becomes a sort of comedy of errors. And, you know, they're stepping on each other's toes. You got like, <laughs> I think that <clears throat> they had like two different uh, flowers vans <laughs> parked outside his house, you know, like vans that are selling <laughs> flowers. Um <laughs> The NSA even goes so far as to break into Benowitz's home, steal his personal computer, and they replaced it with an exact replica that had secret spyware installed on it. Uh, and this, you know, like, say so that probably wasn't that surprising as Benowitz, like I mentioned, had a large array of radio antenna pointed at the Manzano weapons storage facility, which again, is full of nuclear weapons. <laughs> So, you know, a lot of people, a lot of government people were very nervous about, you know, this guy with advanced knowledge or, you know, like, yeah, advanced knowledge of radio telescopes and all of that stuff uh, poking around their secret experimental bases. So Benowitz also uh, is passing his information along to uh, ARPO, the, you know, the Aerial Research Phenomenon Organization. Uh, and in 1982, they decide to get involved and they send rich researcher William Moore, who became famous from co-authoring uh, the Philadelphia experiment and the Roswell incident. Uh, they sent him down there to investigate as well. And so uh, William Moore gets involved and he starts talking with Benowitz. And so Benowitz is fully convinced now that aliens are abducting humans and implanting mind control devices in them, which the aliens control using electromagnetic waves, radio waves. Um, 
I'm not sure, but he, he also wrote a computer program that he said could translate the audio, the alien radio transmissions. Uh, this is from the mental deconstruction of Paul Benowitz quote, by now Benowitz story has become quite complicated. He told Moore that the alien transmissions he had received indicated that there are two types of aliens. I'm sorry. He received indicated that two types of aliens had invaded the U S the peaceful whites and the evil grays, the grays who he said were responsible for cattle mutilations and the abduction of humans had a treaty with the U S government that allowed them to build a secret underground base beneath Archuleta Peak on the Jicarillo Indian Reservation near Dulce, New Mexico. The aliens, however, were about to break the treaty. Oh, so man. This is, the Native Americans always get screwed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got but, have a secret base huh? under, under the reservation. Yeah. So, again, this is another huge part of alien lore nowadays. This idea that the grays uh made like made a treaty with the united states under harry s truman uh that you know like roswell happened aliens crashed at roswell this is according to the lore uh you know we found them got some of their technology this introduced us to the grays so we came you know we started communicating with them and the Greys signed a a treaty or a contract with with Truman that they would trade some of their advanced technology for the privilege of abducting and experimenting on a small number of people. But then over the years, they uh, started going way over the number of humans that they were allowed to abduct. Um, and then the reason that they're experimenting on humans is a whole other rabbit hole that involves like they they have fertility issues. And so they're trying to find a way to fix that through experimenting on humans. There's also the theory that they don't have souls and they're trying to find out what makes humans special. Um, I don't know. But so, basically, you've got this guy who's convinced that aliens are, you know, spying on a an Air Force base, and then he believes that there's a secret underground base. Now, I don't know if you guys are fans of the podcast, uh, last podcast on the left. Uh, I, I'm a fan. They have, if you want to know more about the Dulce mythology... Uh, they have a great series on it and they get into uh, great detail. It's an amazing story. Um, very interesting. I love this stuff because I mean, it's, it's fascinating. It's a, if it was a movie, it would be really interesting. And the fact that it's not a movie and people believe it to be true makes it more interesting to me. Um, <laughs> and I've said this on the show before, but my, uh, thinking when it comes to any of the unproven things like aliens on earth or psychic powers, uh, uh, remote viewing, all of that stuff. I, I'm, I have an, I hold an amended 
version of the X-Files philosophy. You know, remember X-Files said, I want to believe. And my thinking is, I want to believe, but (laughs) I do want to believe at least some of this stuff because it's really cool. But uh, at the same time, it's crazy. So, right. um, Anyway, um, thanks to the constant stream of dense information fed to Benowitz by Doty. And also, uh, we learned later um, from uh, William Moore, the uh, guy from ARPO. He also said later that he was on the government's direction feeding Benowitz disinformation. And, you know, the author of these famous books, The Philadelphia Experiment and The Roswell Incident, uh, William Moore has been accused since, uh, like, you know, since his heyday, uh, a lot of people believe that he was a government disinformation agent as well. Um, And there's a whole other, I keep bringing up, this is the thing that I love about this topic is there's so many rabbit holes to go down and to investigate. because you know it but in the decades before this in the 50s and the 60s when the ufo craze was at its height uh, the cia was infiltrating these ufo communities to spy on them to see if they were secretly communists because some of the ufo encounters they reported uh the aliens sounded like they were communists and so you know uh, they were just watching star trek <laughs> they oh, were, it sounded like the cast on Star Trek. Oh no! Wow. Um, well, lots of uh, warnings of the dangers of nuclear weapons and how people need to learn yeah. to live together and work together, and that sounds all, awful lot like communism. Um, so anyway, but yeah, that's uh, tangential to this story. So, th- like I said, thanks to the constant stream of disinformation fed to him by Doty and more and other people as well. Uh, Benowitz becomes mentally unhinged, uh, due in part to the constant spying on him by government agencies. Benowitz believes that aliens are watching him and antagonizing him. It's, I mean, and it's that that part is sad because he is being watched, he right. is being spied on, and he and there are bumbling idiots who are like, you know, doing a Three Stooges dance behind his back, you know spying on him and he knows something's up but he doesn't know what and he thinks it's aliens um he's eventually admitted into a mental hospital for exhaustion when he gets out he stops speaking with anyone publicly about uh the situation um and then paul benowitz died in 2003 um before his death so richard doty continued to meet with him and, you know, just talk, because I guess they had kind of become friends of a sort over time. Uh, after everything had blown over, Doty confessed to Benowitz that he'd been feeding him lies the whole time. And, he, you know, he went to him and he said, hey, I feel bad, but, I, you know, I'll let you know that all of that stuff was bullshit. And we, I was doing it to keep you away from secret government work that was going on. Uh, but Benowitz remained convinced of his theories about aliens and the secret underground base. So even to his death, from what I understand, Benowitz believed, you know, in the whole story, despite the fact that Richard Doty went to him later and said, I was feeding you a line of crap. 
And he was, Benowitz was like, I know you have to say that, but you know, <laughs> wink, wink. He's like, no, seriously, I was lying. No, I know. I know you were lying. Wink, wink. So that's the story of Paul Benowitz. Now I said earlier that I think Richard Doty is a special kind of bastard. And I'll tell why uh, the reason why um so if you watch that documentary mirage men he feature he's in it a lot he you know so we have his accounts of you know his conversations with benowitz uh so richard doty uh sometime later said he retired from air force intelligence of course you know like do people really retire from intelligence work i mean and they do they actually do (laughs) but um, but his activities after that kind of leave some room to for suspicion that he's not actually retired. So years after the Benowitz story plays out, Richard Doty says, starts telling people that after all of this played out, he gets pulled aside by some high-ranking military officials and showed undeniable proof of the existence of aliens on Earth. So he starts peddling a story about aliens publicly to the public. And I'm like, <laughs> he's gone full why time. Would, why would anyone <laughs> believe you? And he's like, he he is a you know he's a figure in the UFO community now. Um, he still do speaks. He shows up on podcasts and. He talks at conventions. Uh, he's made a name for himself spreading more rumors about UFOs. Um, and I'm like, why would anyone believe you? Especially, uh, you know, I mentioned that the government has a history of infiltrating uh, UFO. Um, the government has a history of infiltrating UFO groups. Um, Richard Doty himself infiltrated some groups he got involved with different ufo groups after his retirement uh well and actually before his retirement too he got involved with these ufo groups uh he was started feeding disinformation directly into the groups as opposed to going through benowitz and he convinces all the different members of these ufo groups who are like they're nerds you know they're not spies or anything they're just like kind of weird people who are interested in aliens the same way some people might be interested in dungeons and dragons or uh witchcraft or you know anything he starts feeding them misinformation disinformation the cia yeah and uh he can conv- he gets all of them to spy on each other and now they're not bringing back any worthwhile information because they're all regular citizens but he i'm not even sure why he did it but he talked about it himself that he had all of these people paranoid about each other and spying on each other and reporting back to him and it seems like his goal wasn't to get secret information on these people so much as it was to sow distrust and to break these groups up um and so now he's a big part of that group. And that's why I think, I was like, what an asshole. What an opportunistic <laughs> asshole that he spent his, a big part of his career, a big chunk of time 
feeding, lying to this man to convince him that there are aliens. Then he comes out and says, yes, I was lying. I did that. It was my job to protect national security. So, okay, fine. But then he comes back with, uh, oh, by the way, I, they pulled me in a room and showed me these videos of aliens walking around and talking and all this crazy stuff. Um, and they told me not to tell anyone, but I'm telling you now anyway. It's, um, oh, what was, uh, uh, Charlie Brown and Lucy I think it's with Lucy, the football. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, it's funny to watch him keep kicking, even though. So yeah, he's like, I wonder if they'll believe it now. Uh, no, seriously. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the truth this time. Uh, yeah. And so it looks like, you know, I'm not a. I'm not uh, super informed on Richard Doty's current activities. You could search him and you'll see him. He'll pop up. It's uh, Richard and then Doty, D-O-T-Y. Um, he'll pop up, you know, like uh, talking about aliens on podcasts and different shows. He was on Coast to Coast AM. Uh, one of the. Yeah, it's a good way. Yeah, it's stay busy in retirement, make some money, you know, and, you know, still feel a little relevant. And- <laughs> You know, prank people. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and in his mind, I mean, it's harmless. Uh, well, I mean, by feeding the Benowitz guy, all that stuff probably wasn't so har- uh, harmless. But I think I think the Paul Benowitz was uh, probably suffered from some mental health issues, and this just aggravated it. I don't. I don't think it's possible. You know, he, he. Yeah. Descriptions he, of him make him sound, you know, like a normal rational person he did work for nasa before he opened his private business uh he's a real scientist um i mean obviously he doesn't mean i mean you're not crazy no i know he his people here like oh he's a scientist ro he's a doctor they were like that they probably are very intelligent and well informed on one specific subject right that doesn't make them a full-on expert on everything. So Benowitz was obviously an expert in radio waves and, uh, and he had an interest in UFOs and he used his knowledge on, you know, radio and everything to feed into his delusions. Yeah. And, and you know, the, when people started investigating it, it compounded it. I mean, like, I don't know if it was like, sounds perhaps like paranoid schizophrenia. And then, I mean, par- like someone with paranoid schizophrenia, uh, uh, paranoid schizophrenia can be brilliant. It has nothing to do with like, right. you know, your IQ and such. And that that's what I'm, I'm kind of, that's the vibe I get from the story you, you told me is that this is an incredibly brilliant person concerning, you know, certain certain things but had this sort of paranoid thing going on. And because yeah, the, the, oh, there are whites and there are grays and there's a secret treaty and there, and come on. Right. He, just, he didn't get so, that from listening to radio sounds. Well, no, no, he didn't get that from listening uh, to radio sounds. A lot of that he got from the disinformation that Richard Doty fed him because Richard Doty was giving him a constant stream of documents that say, you know, this and that we had the meeting with the gray. So a lot of this stuff, uh, Benowitz isn't just kind of like inventing whole cloth. A lot of it is him putting together information. The stuff that they were giving him, the stuff that Richard Doty was giving him was wild. 
And Benowitz believed that this was secret government stuff. It looked <laughs> right. It looked legit. Oh, uh, Benowitz got QAnon. Yeah, he totally got queued. Um, for the sake of national security, I guess. So <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, yeah, this is like secret stuff, and we're giving it to you. But actually, it wasn't quite cute getting queued because all that is like um, horoscope, uh, very vague, and right. The queue uh, stuff is like open ended, so that people can sort of construct their own narratives on top of what they're given. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Benowitz. The impression that I've gotten from what I've read and from the Mirage Men documentary wasn't that Benowitz like had uh, any sort of mental illness more that he was just, he was susceptible to, you know, he already kind of believed in UFOs, which doesn't mean that you have mental illness. It just means that you, you know, maybe <laughs> believe stuff that's irrational. Um, and if believing irrational things is a mental illness, then uh, we're all in trouble, but <laughs> but then he gets he starts getting fed all of these uh lines of bullshit that are coming from Richard Doty. Uh William Moore is feeding him information and then he's got Dr. Sprinkles uh <laughs> yeah. and uh Myrna Hansen. She's another figure. She's still around and she's still making the rounds um talking about Dulce and aliens um, still very convinced that you know she witnessed aliens in this base um i'll note that that you know this the hypnotherapy where people discover repressed memories has been pretty thoroughly debunked uh right yeah. after you know in the 90s you had the satanic panic with that involved children being hypnotized and supposedly uh, coming up with repressed memories that actually just turned out to be stories that they had been fed from their paranoid parents. Um, so yeah, the whole hip uh, repressed memories thing is doesn't hold water. Um, but yeah, she's still fully convinced. She's still out there. Uh, Richard Doty's still yeah. out there. Uh, William Moore. I'm pretty sure he's dead now, but. Right. So you mentioned um, uh, in, in Ukraine right now, uh, this, this group's looking up at the sky and taking notes on these things moving around. Right. I wonder, I wonder if they're going to get um, Berkowitz. <laughs> well, at this point. Or be be Benowitz. 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 Yeah, yeah. Get Benowitz. Well, it's funny you say that because, you know, what, just like in 2020, the, the Navy, you know, they formed their special group to well, that's when they rebranded uh ufos to uaps and um they formed their own task force to compile a report on um on ufo sightings they released the report i believe and there was nothing it just said yeah we see things that we don't know what they are we see stuff in the sky that's moving really fast and we don't know what it could be and the report also said it's not us, which I mean, <laughs> if you were, if it was you, would you say that? <laughs> if you're, you know, testing more yeah. secret stuff. Um, so 
you know, there's an argument and people still think now that um, the government is still doing this, you know, line of uh, action that they're still feeding out disinformation and they're doing it on a massive scale, uh, trying to add this element of woo woo um, aliens and, you know, other crazy things to distract from nothing to see here just aliens right exactly (laughs) it's like oh crazy uh moonbeam okay right so yeah i just thought that was an interesting thing to bring up since i started this you know the story of these uh uaps over ukraine um if the different governments did have secret experimental aircraft they got to use them at some point right What's the point of of spending billions of dollars and years um, of research building these crazy things that can do stuff that we don't we've never seen before if you don't bust it out and use it? You know, like a lot of the testing um, that people say have been confused with UFOs led to you know, like spy planes that the government uses now as a stealth bomber. Yeah. And then, um, and, and then the, you know, like the unmanned, uh, drones. Uh, also I, you know, I got, I mentioned, uh, quadcopter drones before as well. And, you know, I definitely think that the government's been researching that for a long time. And one of my, um, professors, in uh, journalism school. She worked for, I want to say the U.S. State Department. She worked for a government, a federal government agency uh, for a while and met with, you know, different important figures. And she told us in a class once, she's like, you know, whatever technology we see now that we have, the military is 50 years ahead of that. (laughs) <laughs> right yeah um, i mean not to say that they're deploying all of that advanced stuff in the battlefield because you know you play your cards close to the chest um and only use that stuff when you have to i would assume um but yeah i mean i think it's fairly well established that the military is always like way way beyond what we as the public get to see but that was true of the you know like the gps tracking system uh the military had gps tracking satellites yep the internet which we discussed last week um and uh, it's interesting the gps thing uh the military had that uh was using that for years and uh, i think it was under clinton they uh, GPS units started coming out for uh, public use. Uh, I think at this point, this was before, you know, Garmin and TomTom. And so probably the GPS equipment that they had was, you know, pretty expensive. Yeah, they, they had it. They had it before. They had it under um, uh, Daddy Bush. Uh, but yeah, it was like, you know, like a one to $3,000 handheld. Right. Right. Kind of like the rich people who had the big brick cell phones uh, that were like the first ones out. But if I remember correctly, um, the government would actually, excuse me, the government would actually insert erroneous data into the publicly available GPS 
Uh, oh, they had a, it was scrambled a bit. So there was, yeah, there were two, two maiden signals and the civilian one was off by like 30 or a hundred meters. Oh. Um, and so, um, you know, you couldn't pinpoint it directly, but, um, yeah, under Clinton, he, they shared the good stuff. Right. And then all of those old Tom Toms and Garmin's are now in the cockpit of Russian fighter jets. <laughs> well, they have their own systems now. You're like, like the Russians and the Chinese. The fighter pilots, their, pilots their, their, uh, <laughs> admirals are like, so fighter pilots, you have your cell phones. Yes, you have the unlimited data. Just pull up GPS on phone. <laughs> we have to do everything uh, for you. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's kind of like a libertarian war, you know. Come on, take care of it yourself. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So. That's the story of of Paul Benowitz and um, whew, it makes you a little cynical, at least me. Um, <laughs> and I would, I want there to be UFOs, I, I, at least peaceful ones. Of course, you know there's lots of oh, theories that if, if some oh no ewoks are vicious oh they're, like they're they eat humans they eat flesh yeah, they're yeah i don't i don't, I don't they're real cute ewoks, until no. they take you down and then the next yeah. thing you know they're gnawing on your leg over a campfire so yeah <laughs> but yeah there's uh yeah there's been a compelling argument made by different astronomers and scientists that uh we should not be looking for alien intelligence because if the if these alien intelligence was advanced enough to hear our messages and then get to us it'd be a lot like uh you know columbus uh <laughs> meeting the you know uh arriving in the uh, i can't think haiti and dominican republic well what they're haiti and dominican republic today they were not called that at the time but that's you say the Caribbean Isles and the, the and the Americas. Yeah. Um. All right. Anyway, thanks for listening this week. Um, as always, you can uh, we encourage you to check us out on the socials, twitter.com at CIA Files Podcast, Instagram.com at CA at CIA Files. Facebook.com slash CIA files. And of course, our wonderful, lovely website, ciafiles.net, where you can get more information on our subjects today. And you can also buy a t shirt if you'd like. Uh, thanks for again for listening. I think I said that before, but I'll say it one more time. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Oh, a review. Leave reviews. Oh, yeah. If we may be so low as to beg, give us, you know, give, share your thoughts. More, more reviews, please, sir. Yeah. More opinions, please, sir. Yeah. Um, if they're terrible, if you hate the show, let that hate flow and write it down on a website and send it to us. Uh, all <laughs> attention is good attention. Um, so, but yeah. All right. That's it. We're out of here. All right, bye-bye.